Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of First Peter. First Peter. I have to say, before we get started this morning, I love the idea of the Easter lilies. And uh, maybe you want to do something like that for next week. I, I think that's an amazing idea. What a great way to honor someone who's gone on home to be with the Lord. And uh, just to recognize them in memory. Uh, it's a great way to do that. And so I do hope that you would take advantage of that. Um, it was kind of funny when I was speaking with uh, the person that had the idea. They called me and we were talking about it. And I had this flashback. Um, and some of you may know this, but um, for a long time, uh, we could not have lilies on the stage or a lot of flowers really at all. Um, pastor Tom, who was the pastor here, was uh, allergic. And I remember there was one service. This was forever ago. I don't remember if I was on staff or just attending um, but somebody didn't know that, and they bought this, you know, beautiful bouquet and all of this and had it right around the pulpit, and uh, I don't know if he thought, I'll just kind of get through it, uh, but I remember there was a service where not too long into the service, his eyes started watering and started getting a little, you know, really going, and I think he just kind of said, forget it, we're done, we're never doing flowers again. So we haven't had flowers in a, in a long time, as long as he was here, and so I love the idea of bringing the lilies in. And uh, I don't think I'm allergic, but if I start really like just losing my mind up here, sneezing and going crazy, uh, just turn the lights off when you leave. We'll be fine. All right. And so first Peter chapter three, uh, I want to look this morning for just a few minutes about this idea of reaching people for Christ. And I know we've touched on this off and on over the last year or so, maybe a couple years, uh, but I truly believe it's something we need to keep at the forefront of our mind as followers of Christ. And let me just say this at the very beginning. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not a follower of Christ. Uh, if you have not personally received Christ for yourself and confessed of your sins, repented of your sins, and trusted in Christ as Savior, um, then the Bible would say that you are in your sin and, and not a follower of Christ. And so this message, you may think, well, this isn't for me because I'm not even a Christian. I don't know if I believe in God. Um, maybe you believe there could be a God, but you don't really know if you could ever know that God. Uh, you think, well, maybe there's a God out there, but, but the idea of knowing him intimately and having knowledge of him or that the Christian's view of God is any different than the, uh, the Muslim's view of God or the Buddhist view of God. There's really no difference. It's all this moral, good-living teaching. Maybe you're here today and, and you grew up in church, but you didn't really know Christ. And so now you've gone through some experiences in your life. You've gone through some hardships and some trials and struggles. And you've kind of resolved in yourself that, that, that if there was a God who is loving and kind and gracious, then these things wouldn't have happened to me. So because these things have happened to me, I don't care what your Bible says. I refuse to believe in your God. And in fact, I don't even believe there is a God. I don't believe in any such thing as a God. And now you're actually, there's antagonism and, and anger towards those that would claim to know Christ as Savior. Maybe you're here today and you used to go to church and you, you are a Christian and you grew up in church, but some things happened in that church. Imperfect people did imperfect things and, and caused some issues in your church you grew up in. And so you left that church and you've never really gotten back. And now you're back today with us. Or maybe you've been back for some time and you're kind of feeling this thing out. Wherever you find yourself on the spectrum of life, I want you to know something. Number one, there is a God. And that God is crazy, madly, deeply in love with you. So much so that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for your sins, to be buried in the tomb, and to rise again on the third day. And you can claim there is no God. You can argue from experience that your experience teaches you there is no God. You have that right given to you by our God. He gives you the opportunity. You can clinch in rebellion or you can, as we just saying, you can lay down and surrender. It's completely your choice. But just you saying to God, I don't believe in you, does not dictate to God that he does not exist. You claiming that there is no God does not make God cease to exist. You don't have that kind of power. And the reality is that when you leave this world, as much as you want to think there is nothing after this, there is no eternity, there is, we just cease to exist. I choose to base my belief on the word of God. And you might say, well, I don't even believe in the word of God. That's fine. But I'm just telling you, the word of God tells me very clearly that when we leave this world, that there is a God that we will stand before. And in Christ, you will be rewarded and ushered into the joy and the rest and the peace that is in Christ. Apart from Christ, you will be found guilty of your sin, which you committed. 
And your guilt will sentence you to separation from God for all of eternity. And he will say, you are a worker of iniquity, a worker of sin. I never knew you. So now you're, you're liable for your payment of sin that you committed. And that payment is death, separation from God for all eternity. And see, that's reality. That's, that's truth. Our emotions can tell us different. Our experiences can tell us different. But the truth of God's word says this is what eternity looks like. And so as we open up this morning and we talk about the idea of reaching people for Christ, I want to start by saying this. If you don't know Christ, will you just allow the next 45 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever it's going to be, to just be a time where you say, okay, let me just listen with an open mind. Let me listen with an open heart. And maybe through this time, God will speak to you. Because I believe the Holy Spirit of God is convicting us of sin and righteousness at all times. That's what the Bible says he's going to do. And I believe that he can speak and stir in our hearts the reality of our need for Christ. And so I'm going to speak about this idea of reaching people for Christ. And I'm going to speak to believers that are already in Christ and some realities we face. But I want you to know if you're here and you don't know Christ, that this message is still for you. And you can receive Christ today by simply believing he died on the cross for your sins, confessing and repenting of your sins, and trusting in him as Savior. And the Bible says that you can be saved. Not by doing good things or going to church or getting baptized. And your life won't be perfect just because you're a Christian. Things won't always work out just because you're a believer. Things don't work out in life because we live in a fallen world. We trust Christ and we go to him as Savior, not because he makes our lives perfect or always pleasurable. We go to Christ as our Savior because he is the one who saves us. He is the one we need. He is the one that died on the cross and rose again. So I go to him not because he's going to make my life pleasurable. I go to him because he's the only chance I have at having life. And so this morning, I want to speak to this idea of reaching people for Christ. We are in a very blessed time of the year, amen? I love Easter. Not because you get candy and little eggs, okay? That's not bad, okay? And please, do me a favor. Next week, if you're that kind of person, and I'm speaking to our older crowd right now, okay? So uh, if you have grandkids, this is you, okay? Um, we have some individuals that like to just line their pockets with goodies, and then they come to church like it's just like, oh, here, oh, here. And you can see the look on the parent's face. The parent's like, oh, that's nice of you. Thank you so much. They're not thinking that in their mind. They're not thinking that's very nice of you. They're thinking about very wrong things to do to you when you leave and go to the parking lot. But so just keep, if it, just, you can give candy to all the kids in our church, but mine. Okay, just don't give any candy to my kids. Anybody else's kids, candy them up, send them home, I don't care. But my kids, if you could just do me that favor. Now, I know some of you, as I say that, you're like, oh, now we're going to bring extra candy for your kids. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I'm not going to say what I'll do in return if you do that. I'm just telling you, the membership role would be very blank when I was done. I'm just going to lay it out there for you, all right? Now, we are so excited for Easter. It's such a great time of year. We get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so right now in our culture, do you know what people are thinking about that normally don't think about it? What people are talking about they normally don't talk about? Christianity, Jesus Christ, the resurrection. I mean, look at any advertising right now, anything to do with clothes, right? Easter specials, Easter sales. Even in our culture, they understand that Easter is a special day to be celebrated, a day where people that maybe don't normally attend a church service will go to church for the first time this year and maybe the one and only time this year. Many of you maybe grew up in a home where your idea of going to church was you thought, I only go on Christmas and Easter. And maybe the reason you don't go any other time is because you went so much just on Christmas and Easter that you don't think there's anything else that they talk about because every time you go, it's always the same stories. Right? You go to church, every time I go to church, you talk about Jesus' birth and Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the only thing they got. So why go any other time? I've heard it all, okay? There's more that we talk about, okay? So if you have a friend that grew up going to church Christmas and Easter, tell them there's more that goes on in our church than just those two stories, okay? But maybe you grew up in a home where that was normal for you. Can I tell you something? That is a really great opportunity that we have in our culture to engage people that don't normally think about the things of Christ, that don't normally think about church, don't normally think about the things of the Word of God. But right now in our culture, people are asking questions. 
People are thinking about things they don't normally think about because our calendar, our secular calendar says Easter Sunday. Everyone knows. And so I want to encourage you this morning to take advantage of that, to be intentional with that. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says this, familiar passage, but I believe it fits perfectly for this time of year for us. First Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready. I love that. And be ready. How often should I be ready? Always. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now we're going to talk about that fear in just a little bit. That fear does not mean I'm afraid of the person. It's better understood this idea of graciously and humbly with reverence we approach these questions as we give answers. But I love what Peter says. He encourages the believers with uh, this reality in his letter to the early church that we not only will be asked questions, but true or false, can I give an answer? Very true. What does he say? Always be ready to give an answer. That means there is an answer to give, right? If they're asking a question and I'm supposed to always have the answer, then the answer is available to me to give. And this is where people think, well, yeah, but your answer of just Jesus doesn't seem to really do it for me. I'm telling you, I know in circumstances and situations, it may seem like the trite Christian canned response. But for those of us that have walked with Christ, that have experienced the grace he gives us in times of struggle, the name of Jesus Christ is not a trite Christian response. It's the glory and the power of God himself. It changes everything. Man, Jesus is my hope. I don't hope as though I hope I win a million dollars. Okay? That's not the kind of hope we're talking about. I hope I have a good day today. I hope my car doesn't break down. I hope my employer understands what I'm doing and gives me a raise. That's not what we're talking about. The hope of the word of God is a confident guarantee. Man, I know that I know that I will leave this world and stand before Christ. I know that. I have a guarantee of that. Not based on what I do, but based on what Jesus Christ has already done. I know it. And Peter says, man, when people are asking you, why do you have this hope? Why do you have this assurance? Why do you have this peace in the midst of struggle? Not just in the absence of struggle. Anyone can have peace when there's no struggle. But when there's waves crashing all around, how is it you have a peace doesn't mean we don't grieve and struggle and stress, but I mean, in the midst of that, there's this, there's this peace that we have in Christ. How is that? Because I have a hope that is greater than this moment, greater than this world. I have a hope that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Peter says it very clearly. It says, always be ready. To always be ready to give an answer to every man, to every man that asks. We have been given a great opportunity in this culture today to share Christ. And now listen, here's the reality. Some people may ask you questions that that you won't have the exact answer for. You can tell them that Jesus is my hope. But beyond that, you don't have exact answers for that exact situation or that question. But here's the reality of it. You say, let's journey together. Let's study this together. Let's learn this together. Maybe I will learn the answer with you. But the greatest question that will ever be asked of mankind, we have the answer for. How can I be saved? Isn't that what the Philippian jailer came rushing in in Acts 16? How do I be saved? I need to know. That's what I really want to know. How am I forgiven of my sins? How do I have peace for all eternity? How do I have a confident hope when I leave this world, I'll be with God in his glory The truth is, it's Jesus Christ is the answer. You see, we have been given a great commission to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, to share our faith with others, that they might repent of their sins and trust in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We have all, every believer has been called to share. We love those in our lives. We know they need Christ. We love them We know our calling, and we know they need Christ. But the question remains, why do we hesitate to share our faith? If you have your handout from your bulletin, we're going to walk through these couple points just together this morning. Why 
do we hesitate to share our faith? If I've received Christ as my Savior, and I know that he saved me from my sins, and I know I have this guaranteed hope, and I know all of those things, and I love the people around me, then why do I hesitate to share my faith with them when I know that they need Christ? The first thing we have to tackle, and we've talked about this before, is that we are afraid. We are afraid. The fear of others, the fear of failure, the fear of ridicule, the fear of being called a hypocrite, Fear, fear, fear. We fear the unknown. If I open my mouth and I witness to this person, they might judge me, they might condemn me, they might make fun of me. They might ask me a Bible question about Abraham's third cousin on his mother's side that I don't have an answer to. And I do. I'm fearful. And so we allow our fear to cripple us and we just freeze up. And so we open our mouths and all that comes out is, how's it going? You know, I shared it before when we were going through our men's study uh, last in the, in the fall. Do you realize that tomorrow you have the greatest opportunity to give an answer and you don't have to even work that hard at it? We talked about this. I love this. Tomorrow, someone in your area of influence will ask you a question about, about your weekend. They'll say, hey, how was your weekend? And boom, wide open door. Instead of talking about, well, it was okay. We worked in the yard a little bit and we you know, did this or this. And uh, yesterday, we in our house, we played uh, a new Monopoly game that Josiah got at the Word of Life store. Um, it's called Monopoly Cheaters Edition. And uh, has anyone ever played this? Cheaters Edition? Okay. All right. It's super, yeah. Now, I'm not asking if you've cheated at Monopoly. That's not what I'm asking. And I would hope that we'd be honest and like hands would go up all over the place, okay? I mean, who hasn't snuck a little under the, you know what I'm saying? But this game actually encourages you. There's certain things you can do. Try to cheat during the game. So like you, at the bank, everyone's the banker. And so there's actually a card that reads, steal from the bank. So when you're giving yourself money from change, you try to an uh, extra hundred. <laughs> Little things like this. And if you get caught by the other people, there's actually a handcuff you wear when you go to jail now. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So that's how we spent some of our afternoon yesterday playing this new game. It was great. Last night we watched the Mary Poppins Returns. Who's seen Mary Poppins Returns? The new Mary Poppins. I, I loved the old one, right? The original. Jake, it's just classic. And when I heard there was a new one, they're going to ruin it, right? They're going to mess it up. It was good. I liked it. It was really, really good. So tomorrow, if somebody asked me how was my weekend, I could tell them all about that stuff, right? It's good stuff, right? That's good. Family, friendly. Oh, man, look at you with your family. You love your family. That's great. Share some laughs about the game or share some laughs about the movie. And completely miss sharing about the most important thing I did this weekend. Do you know the most important thing I'm going to do this weekend and I'm doing it right now is being with you, worshiping our Savior. And how many times do people say, how was your weekend? And we talk about this or that or this or that and all this other stuff. And we omit that for a time of Sunday morning, we gathered with other believers from all different backgrounds and, and all different aspects of life. And we gathered together and we lifted up the very name of Christ. And we honored and praised the God of all creation. And then we opened his word and we, we learned from the word of God how we can serve this God, how we can honor him, how we can tell other people about him. And we got to worship him and fellowship and shake hands and pray for individuals. Man, it's so great. I was able to tell someone that's going through a medical thing tomorrow, went up to him and just said, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you tomorrow. That's it. Simple. Tonight. We're going to gather together again, and we're going, to, we're going to dive back into the Gospel of Luke. And by the way, this is how crazy God is. Do you know where we are in the Gospel of Luke? We're right in line with the period of time we're in right now in our calendar. We're in the part of Luke where, where he's going to be betrayed, where he's going to be tried and, and mocked and ridiculed before he goes to the cross. And you might say, oh, you preachers, you plan that stuff. Two things. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. Those that know me that, know me well, know that's true. And the other thing is, God is sovereign. And we started this Luke study a while ago, and I didn't look and go, oh, okay, we'll be about here and about here. You guys know I teach way too long to do that kind of stuff. Six-week studies, pff, 
That's 12 weeks. Easy, okay? But when you look at this, and I think, man, God, you brought us together. So tonight, we're going to open the Word of God, and we're going to study the very moments leading up to the cross with God's people. And tomorrow, someone's going to ask you, how was your weekend? And you're going to fill it with all the, I mean, it's good stuff. But why would you tell them just the good stuff? Why wouldn't you tell them the great stuff? See, for some of us, church has become nothing more than just a thing we do on Sunday mornings. We're lackadaisical about it. We don't really engage. We sing the songs and we sit politely and we listen sort of and make fun of the pastor when he's not paying attention and write notes or doze off depending on the situation. And do you realize... I'm not trying to be, uh, I don't want to be dramatic here, but I want us to be real. And do you realize when you open the word of God, these are the very thoughts of God. Like this is the very heart of God crying out to you. And I remember I used to get so mad. I'm in Bible college, in chapel, with missionary and pastoral majors. This is life for all of us, for the most part. There were some elementary ed teachers. They were okay. But, I mean... Just tease it. My wife went to school for LED, so I can I can say that little joke there. I used to tell her, like, I can't believe you get paid to go play with kids in Play-Doh. Like, that's amazing. That's all you gotta go to school for that. That's okay. She had friends that would find out that her she her her fiance was a uh, a soon-to-be pastor at a Bible college, and they would say, You have to you have to go to school to be a pastor? Like I didn't even know that was they could just anyone can do that, which really makes you feel good about your degree, you know. It really affirms what you're doing here. I mean, we're not doing brain surgery, right? I mean, it's okay. So But I remember sitting in chapel, and these pastors would bring these messages that were just, I mean, amazing. And I remember sitting and just reading the Word of God, like, God, this is so insane that you would, and that's, wow. And I look around, and kids are reading for other classes, goofing off. There was times on Sunday morning, I'd be leaving for church, I'm walking out the door, and kids were just getting up, getting in the shower, just not even going, pastoral majors, just like, ah, well, I'll I'll just go next week. It just, it just, something just grinded in me like, that's not okay. And I know what you're thinking. Well, don't be a legalist. Don't be telling people they got to go to church. You don't got to do anything. That's the crazy thing about grace. You can just receive grace and God says, okay, I want you to be in my church. I want you to be in my word. I want you to grow. I want you to serve. But your salvation's not contingent upon those things. I do believe that when somebody's a follower of Christ and they've received Christ as Savior, that works will flow out of them. James seems to be pretty clear about that. But I think there are times that even Christians can get so lackadaisical. Like just what? It's, it'll be there next week. Every Sunday, 1030, they're there. I can go when I want. And this isn't to make anyone feel bad. This is to make us realize, man, this is vital what we do here on Sundays. This week was awesome. And I know I'm kind of, I'm all over the place this morning, and I apologize for that. But I just... Man, I just, I just feel so excited about what God is doing in, in our church. This week, it was such an amazing week for, for me as a pastor here, but also for our ministries here. And I told Sandra, I love getting to the end of these kind of weeks because it makes me really feel like I, I did ministry this week. I was blessed to be able to preach, teach, or speak five times in four days this week. It was awesome. God opened up the door for a funeral randomly. Uh, it was great. I mean, it was so intimate a service. We, they actually held it at the Days Inn in like the conference room. I've never been a part of something like that, but it was so cool. This intimate little group of, of family members and friends gathered together, and, and I didn't know any of them. And I was blessed to be able to go in and just open the Word of God and say, this is the gospel. And man, family members are just hugging on me, and Sandra was with me. It was blessed. And Becky Vout went with me, and she, she sang for them. And it was just, it was just this amazing time. Man, I, can, I couldn't imagine doing it. I love doing that with believers as well. Bible study this week was amazing. Wednesday night prayer meeting was amazing. Tuesday night we got to gather with recovering addicts and family members and just share and encourage them in the word of God and just fellowship with them and pray with them. And it was just an amazing night. Monday night we were able to meet together with all of our teachers and helpers and aides and just encourage them and talk through some things. And it was just great to see their excitement and their passion for the ministry here. Man, I'm telling you what, I couldn't do anything else in my life. This is great. I, I, get, I get paid to be here. That's nuts. But you know the greatest time for me? 
I love teaching. I love preaching. But I love any time we can open the word of God and just read the mind of God and then prayerfully say, God, would you allow me to do this? Thank you, God, for even allowing me into your church, let alone now I get to serve you. And we allow ourselves to be crippled by fear. Fear of what? They'll make fun of me. So what? They'll call me names. Whatever. They'll say I'm a hypocrite. Well, are you? Can we just be real for a second? Do you know why Christians are called hypocrites? Number one, because all people have some degree of hypocrisy in their lives. We all struggle. We're all learning and growing. But number two, because maybe you are living hypocritically. And maybe that's not on them to not call you a hypocrite. Maybe it's on me to say, God, no, I'm sorry. I repent of that, and I trust in you. And I want this to be more than just a Sunday morning thing. I want this to be an everyday thing. Not because I keep my salvation through it, but because I want it to be an overflow of my salvation. Man, do you see that we get, we get a reality, an opportunity to share Christ, and we allow fear to cripple us? We are so behind. Let's move on. <laughs> Woo! Okay. We'll get through one way or another. I can't even put it off to next week because it's, you know, our story's set for next week, so I got to move on. Okay. We can't disappoint. We can't disappoint. So we, we are afraid. Okay? It's a reality. We are afraid. But secondly... One of the reasons we hesitate to share our faith is we don't feel qualified. We don't feel qualified. Okay, this is big for many, many believers, especially in our day and age. I don't think I am qualified to share. I mean, after all, who am I? Who am I to share? Who am I to do this? I put in here, and it was on Facebook this week, if you saw the little graphic. The truth is, and maybe you would jot this to the side somewhere. The truth is, you don't need a degree. You don't have to be an expert, and you don't need to have all the answers to share your faith. You don't need a degree, you don't have to be an expert, and you don't have to have all the answers to share your faith. You may feel unqualified, but I'm telling you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have all that you need to share that with someone else. This doesn't mean we don't study and grow in our knowledge of Scripture. The truth is we should all grow as students of God's word. We never reach a point where we've arrived. We are all students of God's word. However, the only knowledge we need to share our faith is to have placed our faith in Christ and know, hear me now, and know he loves others as much as he loves me. And that's all you need to be qualified, to know Christ and to know he loves others as much as he loves you. Number three, or letter C, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to feel unqualified, but let her see, many of us fall into this. We don't want to be pushy, right? Now, some of you are good at this. Some of you are fine being pushy, okay? Some of you, it's like a gift. I just, I'm just that way, okay? But many of us, we struggle with this. We don't want to be pushy. Again, in today's postmodern culture, we have been told that it's not my place to tell someone else what to believe or question someone else's view of God or sin, The truth is no longer valid, so I am considered pushy when I declare an absolute truth. If I share the truth of the gospel that there is only one way, then that's determined by Jesus Christ himself. If I tell someone that, well, then who are you? My beliefs are just as valid. My definition of truth is just as valid as yours. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. There's no such thing as multiple levels of truth. There's truth and there's false. There's the truth, and then there's your own ways of making up what you believe. John, or Jesus was very clear in John chapter 14, verse 6. What did he say? I am the what? The way, the truth, and the... No man comes to the Father but by... It's amazing to me when he was declaring that to his disciples. Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. How do we get to where you're going? Jesus said, you know exactly how to get there. You get there through me. I mean, this is Jesus' words. So I understand we don't want to come across as a Bible thumper, somebody who arrogantly gets in people's faces. 
But I want to encourage you that we are to share our faith in love, in conversation, in truth, and in humility. We share our faith in love, in conversation, in truth, and in humility. It's not being pushy. It's being a Christian. It's not pushy to share my faith. It's being a Christian to share my faith. But see, so many of us have had negative experiences where somebody got in our face and really, I get that. I'm not talking about being a spiritual jerk to people. I'm not talking about being in in someone's face. I'm not talking about being arrogant or cocky. I'm saying in a conversation, in love, graciously and humbly, we open the word of God if we can, and we just share the truth of God's word with them. And here's the reality. We start with us. We start with our sin. We talk about our relationship, and then we work it into their lives. We'll get to that in just a moment. So we don't want to be pushy. We don't feel qualified. We are afraid. But also, I believe we hesitate to share our faith because we are complacent. We are complacent. Touched on this a moment ago. We can fall into the trap of thinking, as long as I'm going to heaven and being a good person, what others decide is up to them. This is where we just get complacent. You know what? I'm good. I'm on my way to heaven. So, I mean, I pray for other people. I hope they get saved. But it's not really my deal. It's not really my gift. Whatever they decide is up to them. We would never say this out loud. We're good at this right here. We never say this out loud, but it's a direct reflection of that view in our actions. It's basically like saying, as long as it's not in my backyard mentality. I don't, you know what, look, I pray for you, but I mean, that's about as far as it goes. I don't really feel it's my gift to actually say anything. I mean, who am I anyway? We get kind of complacent. I'm good. I mean, I'm a good person. God, I do good things. You know what I think sometimes we do, even as Christians, is we begin to serve in an area as though we think that somehow mitigates this call over here. Well, I mean, yes, Lord, I know I should witness to my neighbor, but I'm so busy preparing for junior church. How could I ever have time to do that? God, I know you want me to share Christ with my coworker, but I'm in this Bible study and there's homework. And I have to do this homework and I really just don't have time. If that Bible study leader would just stop giving us homework... I found out this week that apparently the ladies' Bible study, on Wednesday night this came up, the ladies' Bible study has more homework than the men's Bible study. And you know what I said to that? I said, one of the ladies was saying this. I said, that sounds like jealousy. Is that a little envy? A little, I want to check that heart of bitterness, you know, okay? But here's the reality. We can start serving. And this, by the way, is it good to serve in junior church? Is it good to serve in the nursery? Is it good to serve in the ministry you have to prepare and plan? Yes. Those are great things. Man, if some of you are serving for our widow's banquet coming up, thank you, because that is huge. Some of you might want to sing and be involved in music or be involved in playing an instrument. Please see Renee. Let her know if there's an interest there. But that's great. That's good to serve in those things. But I don't serve in this area to mitigate this area. God doesn't work to me. I don't say, God, I know I need to witness my neighbor, but I went to church three times this month, so I think I'm probably good. We become complacent. One author said it this way, and I love this. I love it, and it's also a challenge. So I hope you understand what I mean when I say I love this. One author said it this way. Every person who is born into God's family is to multiply. I don't know if we believe that statement. I don't know if I believe that it's fact. Let me read it again. Every person who is born into God's family is to multiply. While this is true, the author says, he laments by saying, in every Christian audience, I am sure there are, or there, I'm sure, I am sure there are men and women who believe Christians for five, who have been Christians, I'm sorry, who have been Christians for 5, 10, or 20 years, but who do not know of one person who is living for Jesus Christ today because of them. 
the, the author laments in this way. In every Christian audience, I am sure there are men and women who have been Christians for 5, 10, or 20 years, but who do not know of one person who is living for Jesus Christ today because of them. So my challenge to us is simple this morning. You don't need to raise a hand. You don't need to, to make a face or to... But if you were honest with yourself today, you are, you're a Christian if you know Christ. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, if you honestly looked at your life and said, okay, who have I allowed God to use me to impact for his glory? Who have I, who have I touched for Jesus Christ? Who have I shared my faith with? Now, I'm not saying we, we count numbers as far as well, all the conversions. I'm just saying this. If you share your faith and somebody rejects, you're good. You've done your job. It's on them what they do with your sharing. But we're just called to share. And then we have to ask this question. Am I even willing to disciple someone for Christ? Am I even willing to put time aside to spend with another brother or sister, depending on who you are, and disciple them for the, for the work of Christ? Or am I just complacent? We said it last week that God is building his church. And praise God, he builds his church. However, we were also clear in saying that he has called us to be a part of that building process by sharing our faith and making disciples. Paul says it well in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. See, it's, it's a balance between God says, I'm going to build my church, but as followers of Christ, we are his church, and he builds us up to reach out to others, to make disciples, which then he gives the increase, and now the church is growing and the church is built. But are we complacent? Do we really believe that we have a calling? Which leads to our second key thought quickly. We understand we have these things that may distract or cause us hesitation in sharing our faith. So how then do we share the love of Jesus? How do we share the love of Jesus? The first thing we have to understand is we can use what we have. We use what we have. Luke chapter 5, verses 29 through 32. We're not going to turn there for time's sake. But I want you to go there later. And when you look at that story, you're going to meet a man named uh, Levi. And Levi was a tax collector. And Levi is initiated by Christ, called by Christ to follow. He becomes a follower of Christ. And as a response to this, he throws a massive party and invites all of his friends. I love Levi. He, he finds Christ becomes a follower of Christ, decides, I'm going to throw this massive party, and he invites all of his friends. Do you know who his friends are? Well, he's a tax collector that are looked down upon by the Jews. So he invites other tax collectors, most of which are thieves and crooks, not good people. Then it says there were also some harlots, which is a really nice way of saying what? Prostitutes, sinners. And Jesus goes to this party. What? What do you mean Jesus goes? He goes to the party, and you know what? He engages these individuals. Do you know who had the biggest problem with this? The religious leaders. They mocked him and ridiculed him because he went. But do you know what Levi did? All Levi did was this. He used what he had. See, he met Jesus Christ. It radically changed his life. And he said, man, I got to get Jesus to my friends and my friends to Jesus. What's the best way to do that? I know. I'll invite them over and then Jesus will come and then he can minister to them and they too might become followers of Christ. He used what he had. In the same way, you too can use what you have to reach those with the love of Christ. The point is to start where you are, to use what you have. Let me ask you a question. Just think for yourself here. What do you have? What has God blessed you with to share the love of Christ? What has God done in your life? How has God helped you? How has God strengthened you? How has God blessed you to be able to have an opportunity to share the love of Christ? Let me ask you this way. Do you have some extra time in the week? Maybe your job gives you extra time, meaning you're not necessarily like a nine to five or 40 or more hours a week. Maybe you've got some flexibility there. Maybe you have flexible weekends. What could you do with that extra time to show the love of Christ to someone else? How could you disciple someone with that extra time? How could you minister to them? How about this? Do you have season tickets to a game or to a stadium or to whether it be Tigers or Red Wings or whatever? 
How could you be generous and invite your coworker that doesn't know Christ and say, hey, I got this extra ticket. So you get your coworker, you take him to the game, and then for three, four hours, guess what? You're sitting next to each other, watching the same events. What a great opportunity to share Christ with that person. What a great opportunity to lead that person in an understanding of who Christ is. If you don't have a coworker that you can invite to that game and you just want to encourage somebody, your pastor loves sports. I'm just saying. Just going to throw that out there, okay? Do what you want with that. But I'm just joking. I mean, I do love sports and I will take tickets, but I'm just kidding, okay? The point is, what has God blessed you with? What has God given you that you can be generous or encouraged with what you have? And if God has blessed you with a, a nice big yard, maybe you can have friends and people over and, and throw a little barbecue and, and not just talk about the weather, but maybe purposely go into it thinking, okay, I know my neighbors are coming thinking we're just all going to hang out, and that's fine and good, but I'm going to do it with the attention of sharing Christ with them. It doesn't mean you get up and do a devotion necessarily, but just in conversation. You might say, man, I don't even know what I would say. I don't even know how to begin well, the first thing you can do is you can invite someone to church. That's the second way to share the love of Jesus. Invite someone to, sh- to church. In this story in John chapter 4, verses 28 through 30, we see this woman at the well who was radically changed by Jesus Christ, and she goes out into the city, and she tells everyone she can about Jesus. She tells everyone that will listen. She doesn't care about her past. She doesn't care about her own story. She understands that she's seen as a woman of not the best reputation, but Jesus radically changed her life, and she runs to anyone. The Bible says that she ran out through the city and told everyone she could about this man, and I love what she said. It wasn't trying to convince them of who he was. She simply said, come and see. I love that. Just come and see. Look, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to tell you, there's this man who radically changed everything. He told me things that no one knows. You need to come and see this man. You need to come and hear him. You need to come and be a part of what's going on. So she just invited them to come. She didn't memorize a script. She didn't preach a sermon. She didn't try and answer all of the questions of life. Again, none of these things are bad. She simply invited everyone to come and meet the Savior who had changed her life. See, when you invite someone to church, we're tempted to do this. You need to come to my church because we have a great fill-in-the-blank. And I understand that, and I don't think it's bad to do that. If you have a family member or a friend that has little kids, it's great to say, hey, we would love for them to be a part of our children's ministry. It's a safe, fun, engaging place to to spend time in the Word of God, and they're going to have a lot of fun doing it. Nothing wrong with that. But the ultimate draw, the ultimate reason we invite people to church is, listen, you just got to come and see what God is doing. You just got to come and see how Christ is working and leading and guiding and how Christ is present in our church. You just have to come and see. I don't know what else to tell you. Just come and see. See, that's why, for the most part, on Easter Sunday, we'll have maybe a little bit more music, but our service will pretty much be the same as it always is. Why? Because I don't want people to come in on Easter Sunday and see this big, huge production, this big, huge thing, and then show up the next week thinking that's how it always is. Man, I think that we can come together and gather together and worship Christ in a way that just puts him center stage, and then that's what will draw people That's what will encourage people to come back. See, it's not about trying to convince them. It's about inviting them. Would you just come and see? And then lastly and quickly, we can invite them to church. We can use what we have. But lastly, and again, familiar to what we said before, you can share your story. You can share your story. One time, Jesus healed a man. And the skeptics and those that hated Jesus called Jesus a con and a sinner, a liar and a cheat. And then the man that was healed spoke up. John chapter 9. We are going to go to that passage. John chapter 9. Verse 25. We can use what we have. We can invite someone to church and we can share our story. John chapter 9, verse 25. 
He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I do not know. This is the man that was healed. So get this. The religious leaders are like, oh, he's a sinner. He's a cheat. He's a liar. The guy that was blind but now sees says, you know what? He may well be. I have no idea. He says, I, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I don't know. But look what he says. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind and now I see. Now, what a great testimony. I don't know nothing about Jesus except for this one thing. I used to be blind, and now I can see. Verse 26, then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? Verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Man, this guy, I love this guy. Love this guy. The religious leaders are just hounding this guy. Well, what did he do? He tells them, this is what he did, and now I can see. And after some time, they keep challenging him, and finally the guy says, wait a minute, why do you keep asking me? Do you want to be his disciple too? Do you want to be a follower of Christ too? I'll tell you again, if you're going to listen and you want to follow him. I love it. I love the boldness and the courage. You see, here's all this guy did. He experienced Christ in his own life. The power of Jesus Christ. And he didn't know all the answers. He didn't know everything that Jesus was or who Jesus was. But he knew one thing. I used to be blind. Now I see. And I'll tell you again, but you better listen this time. I love this man's story. He simply told the story how Jesus changed his life. He didn't have to know all of who Jesus was or what Jesus was doing on earth. He merely knew that Jesus loved him enough to heal him. He didn't know everything, but he knew this. That man loves me, and he loves me enough that he healed me of this. And if that's how he is, and that's how much he loves me, then I'll follow him. Because what does he say? He says, do you want to be one of his disciples too? Do you also want to be one of his disciples? That tells me this man was a disciple, trying to be and wanting to be a disciple of Christ. We too have been healed from our sin. We share so much in common with this man. We may not know all the answers, but we have been healed from our sin by a precious gift of Christ. We may feel afraid. We may feel unqualified. We may feel afraid and unqualified. But don't let those things make you complacent. Take a step. Share your story. And watch God glorify himself through it. I want to encourage you to know that it is possible to share your faith with someone else. It is possible to share the love of Christ with someone this week, starting today. On the bottom of your handout, on the bottom of your handout, there's a space for five people, five people that you can reach for Christ. These are five people that you know and care about. You want them to first Hand, or to know firsthand the love of Christ. So here's what I want you to do. It's not disruptive. It's not disrespectful or distracting. I want you to take a minute. I'm going to make some closing remarks. And then we're going to go to invitation. I want you to right now, don't worry about anyone else. Don't think about anyone else. Don't let fear stop you. You start to write a name. Well, they'll never listen. You start to write a name. Well, how will I ever? You start to write a name. Well, they already know. You write five names. That's all you're doing. You don't need all the answers. You write five names. Some of you are like, I don't know if I have five people. Then you write one name. You start with one. And you write that name down. And this is somebody that you are, by God's grace, and through him opening the door of opportunity, going to share Christ with. As you prayerfully consider who you would write down, in just a moment we are going to have an opportunity to pray. We're going to give you a chance to have an invitation where you can come and bend a knee and, and pray. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to come. If you write a name down, I'm going to ask you to come. Now, you don't have to come. You can pray there in your seats for that person. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to come, and I'm going to bend a knee, and I'm going to pray for this person, or these two people, or these five people, and I'm going to pray, God, give me the boldness to share my story. Give me the boldness to, to look beyond my fear. Give me the boldness to do it sooner than later. See, here's the thing. When you come to church, there's a lot of times we hear a message, and it's good, and you're in agreement with it. 
You're like, oh, that, that lines up with God's word. I'm in agreement with what that person just said. But we, we struggle with the application at times. So here's what I want you to do. This isn't about just writing down some names, sticking it in your Bible, and then away we go. It's about saying, no, 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 no. God, I'm going to put feet to this. I'm going to write these names down, and I'm going to pray over this. I'm going to actually do what you're calling me to do. I'm not just going to write a name down so I feel good about following what the pastor said. I'm not going to write a name down so the person next to me sees me write a name down and they think, well, that guy's spiritual. That woman's spiritual. She wrote a name down. He wrote a name down. It's not what I'm doing. I don't care about anyone else right now as far as what they see on my paper. What I care about is, God, am I doing what you want me to do so I can show love to those that need you? It's not about impressing someone. Here's the thing, too. If you're sitting there and you're tempted to come forward and pray, but you're only wanting to do it so that you can impress someone with the fact that you came forward, then I would challenge you, ask God to change your heart on that. Man, I've met Christians. I've been in that trap. I've done that. You'll do something, and then you realize, man, I only did that because I wanted to make them think I was spiritual. This morning is not about any of that. It's about genuine sharing of our faith. So what can you do? You can invite someone to church. You can use what you have, and you can share your story. Don't let fear, complacency, or feeling unqualified stop you. You do what God has called you to do. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? The band's going to come, and we're going to have a song of invitation. I want you to respond this morning. I want you to respond to what God is doing in your life, and I want you to pray for those names. If you've already written some names down, you can come. You don't have to wait for me to tell you. You can come right now. Father, would you just lead, guide, and direct in all the things that you're going to do this morning? Father, I pray that if there's someone in this room that doesn't know Christ, that you would lead them to your cross, that they would understand your grace and your love for them, and they would know that there is only one hope, and it's in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for the ones that are writing names down this morning. I know it's tough. I know it's fearful, Lord, but I pray that you would just do a work. I pray that you would show them your grace and give them the strength and the courage. Lord, for the one in the audience today that is just struggling in this area, that wants to write names down but just isn't sure how, I pray you'd comfort them. I pray you'd show them that they can do it. That if they know you as Savior, they don't need to be afraid. They can share their story. You can use them because you are, you are able to use anyone that has surrendered, that lays down before you in surrender. Father, would you be glorified now, we ask in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As we are led in song, would you respond? Will you come pray for your five? Come pray for your one? Maybe there in your seats or here at the altar. If you want to pray with someone, there's those in the front that will pray with you. Would you respond this morning to what God is doing?